You're a little older and a lot wiser. The future is yours. Define aging on your own terms. Welcome to AARP Without Limits with your host, Mike Olander. Hello and welcome. This is AARP Without Limits, WPTF Talk Radio, disrupting aging with the power of 50,000 watts. And our podcast, available anytime on demand at WPTF.com or through our Facebook, AARP North Carolina. I'm your host, Mike Olander. I'm the state director of AARP North Carolina. And we've got a great program for you today, folks. Community leader Reverend Odell Cleveland is with us to talk about how he has committed his life to making life better for people, both locally and in Greensboro and uh, beyond. Uh, but first, ladies and gentlemen, as always, we begin with a little chit-chat here with my partner in crime here at the studio, Mr. Jason Kong. Jason, how you doing, sir? Mike, I'm doing better than I deserve. How are you doing? Better than I deserve. I've heard that before on the radio. Yes, yes. Hey, well, it's, I'm not uh, sure of this network, true. but in others. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Uh, and actually, I, uh, I kind of uh, flubbed my intro of you. I usually refer to you as the esteemed production engineer here. That's okay. You know, uh, I, you still always give me a, a wonderful introduction, whether you include esteemed in there or not. Uh, esteemed is probably way over the top to begin with. Well, I try to flatter. It keeps me in my place, a place of modesty. You're the true uh, radio town here at ARP without limits, Jason. But anyway, I'm really happy before uh, we get to our guest, who I'm really, really thrilled uh, to have uh, Reverend Odell Cleveland on with us. Uh, before we get to that, though, I have to share a little bit with you about uh, what's been going on in, in my uh, neck of the woods, well, not my neck of the woods, in my life uh, recently. Um, as you may recall from an earlier show right after Christmas, I talked about a Christmas present that I got from my significant other. Um, she and I are really big fans of uh, Broadway. We've gone to a number of Broadway shows in the, in the last couple of years, going up to you know, New York City and really enjoying that lifestyle of the theater and dinner in the city and, and, and really just you know, digging into to the culture of that and, and um, just really enjoying uh, the arts and, uh, and learning and uh, just having, you know, really uh, sipping from the marrow of, uh, of life, as they say. Well, uh, our favorite show is Phantom of the Opera, which closed on Broadway last year. Really sad to see that go. Saw it three times there at uh, in, in, uh, the, um, the Majestic Theater. And uh, thought, wow, wouldn't it be? It's still playing in London. Boy, wouldn't it be something if we got to see it there at uh, Her Majesty's Theater, where it's been playing for many, many years. Well, Jason, you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> you know that you know what happened uh, for my for Christmas, Valentine's Day, and I guess my birthday all in one. Uh, she surprised me to a, a trip, you know, tickets to see Phantom of the Opera at now His Majesty's Theater uh, in London, of course. Now that the Queen has passed, and not only that, but um, you know, tickets to fly over and hotel for a few nights uh, right there in the heart of London. And uh, also, not just tickets to the show, but a gold package, as they say, which has got some perks. And uh, I have to tell you, Jason, it really, really was just amazing. Um, it was so, so great to see that wonderful show perform their smaller stage than what they have in New York City, have great seats, and uh, just, you know, you literally feel the heat from the flames that get that they use on stage and the chandelier those of you who know the show know what i'm talking about right over our heads a point where you're like i hope that thing doesn't fall for the first time you know <laughs> right on us we're, we're we're goners if that happens but uh what an experience it was jason to to be there 
um, and then to enjoy London. I'd been in London before, but only briefly at the airport. And so for us to be able to walk the streets of London, and I have to say I was, I was expecting and prepared for cold, gloomy weather you'd expect in London. 60 degrees and sunny. Who would wow. have thought it? There we are outside Buckingham Palace watching the changing of the guard, having afternoon tea, really just kind of almost like living this life that wasn't even us. We kept saying this feels so surreal. Doesn't even feel like we're in London or that we're, uh, you know, even ourselves. It feels like we've stepped into a different life for a little while. And it was so, uh, so fun. And um, to just to be able to experience some bits and, and pieces of that and the food and by and large, most of the food was really, really great. And I have to say special shout out to uh, so-called Sunday roast, which I didn't even know was a thing. I'm not even sure if it's an English thing or just a London thing, but Sundays they have this, it's, it's a roast with vegetables and with meat or chicken. And it was one of the best meals I've had in a long, long time. And so I was just so, so grateful for that. Again, combination, Christmas, Valentine's Day, and birthday present. And here we are this weekend, Jason. It's my birthday uh, this weekend, celebrating that. Well, happy and, uh, birthday to you, Mike. Thanks. And I'm not one of these birthday people. You know, there's some people who kind of like celebrate it like it's uh, an accomplishment. You know, like <laughs> I'm just going to put it on my resume that this is my birthday. Like it's something. I'm definitely not one of those guys. But I have to say, this is my last, I'm entering my, my last year in my 40s. And uh, I'm a year away from that big milestone 50 year where I know a lot of people do a lot of self-reflection. And of course, at AARP, we, we hear this all the time and experience it in the work that we do. It does... I'm finding a year ahead of time now already, a year away from that. Um, I'm being very reflective of my life and I'm thinking about how have I spent my time and how do I spend my time right now? You know, and for me, number one job is being the best dad I can be, right? Not only in the short term, the day to day, but the long term for my kids. What example am I setting for my kids? Everything from taking responsibility for the mistakes that we make to, um, you know, having the courage to ask difficult questions to investing in relationships. And, and that's so much of what it, it's all about, right? Relationships with your family, uh, relationship with the people who you work with, uh, both within your organization and out in the community. It's about, um, you know, sometimes knowing when to take the back seat. Me, you know, I'm the director of ARP North Carolina. We've got 1.1 million members uh, I'm usually not out front. I, I, I want to see our staff out in the field and our volunteers out there being the face of the organization, building the relationships so that ARP can be the best organization in, uh, it, it can possibly be, uh, not being top down. And, uh, you know, so for me, I'm asking, am I doing that the right way? Are there things I can be doing better moving forward as, as I'm a little bit older and a little bit wiser? And so it's a uh, great timing that we have our guest on uh, with us today, um, because this is, you know, a gentleman who I, I don't know personally. I met, I met uh, Reverend Odell Cleveland once uh, back some years ago, back when our organization here was under different leadership. Um, but our local team out there, I know, has, has worked with him and, and, and with his church and, and others around him for years. Um, and uh, it's just so great to see somebody. You've got folks out there, you know, Jason, who kind of just sort of talk a talk, and then you've got those who walk the walk. Um, and uh, Reverend, Reverend Cleveland always has had a reputation as somebody who is always out there uh, doing so much and and being active and making a difference. Um, you know, he founded America's first faith-based community uh, action agency, the Welfare Reform Liaison Project. Um, that project grew into a $100 million nonprofit organization. 
Um, he received his master's in divinity with honors from Hood Theological Seminary in 97, a bachelor's in management from the University of South Carolina at Spartanburg in 84. Uh, currently, he's responsible for the day-to-day management of Greensboro's 7,000-member Mount Zion Baptist Church. Uh, he's also president of CalT Solutions, LLC, which for the past decade has served as a conduit for his business solutions to social ills. He's co-chaired three interfaith missions to Israel in 2022. Um, he was only one of 12 people nationally selected by AARP to receive the Local Heroes Award for his community leadership efforts related to caregiving. He's the author of several books um, and also has been the host of um, a, uh, a program called Swing State, which was on a Fox affiliate with, with, um, with Republican Congressman Mark Walker. And he's currently hosting the Common Ground Show podcast, which deals with racial division by diving into difficult discussions and thriving for understanding. That long uh, but important bio uh, brings us to where we are. Reverend Odell Cleveland, thank you so much for being with us, sir. Well, Michael, thank you, Jason, for having me. Quick question. Now, when you went to London, did the British pound, was it changed to with the king's picture on the money now versus, because when we went a couple months ago, it was the queen. So what was that like? It was my iPhone, all cashless <laughs> transactions. Oh, okay. So I don't know. That's a great question, though. Um, and I have to say, I was so overwhelmed by the experience, I didn't even 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 think to ask. Um, uh, so your, your biography speaks volumes about your commitment to helping communities uh, empowered and by making critical connections between the nonprofit and the for-profit worlds, Republicans and Democrats locally and even internationally. Looking back now uh, at your early years, what was the inspiration for you to get on the path that you're on? Well, you know, it's interesting. I am 63 years old. So I grew up in a time in South Carolina with um, segregation, black schools, white schools, black neighborhoods, white neighborhoods, black people hating white people, white people hating black people. So that's what I grew up in. But later on, when I started playing sports, I realized that a lot of that stuff wasn't true. So I've spent a lot of good, a lot of my time now on trying to make sure that a lot of bias, prejudice, and stereotypes does not go forward. And a good thing about this playing sports, you know, back in the days, good sportsmanship, you shook people's hands after the game was over, whether you won or lost. So that's just trying to do better because a lot of times we learn lessons on grandma's porch, but those lessons are not always accurate. Hmm. That's fantastic. And just a kind of a dig a little deeper in there. Speaking of sports, you had a scholarship, didn't you? Yeah. Well, I was a national champion. So, so Michael, not just a scholarship, almost got, you know, picked to go to the NBA, but not quite. So <laughs> yes, but sports for me was different than many people. I saw it as an opportunity to get out of the ghettos and out of the projects of South Carolina, and that's what I looked at as a tool. Basketball was a tool, T-O-O-L, not a toy for me. So I learned quite you know, early on that make things work for you versus fantasizing about things. Well, and in your, uh, we're gonna have to go to a commercial break in about a, um, in about a minute. I don't wanna dig too deep into into this, but I, I know with you, you know, family uh, was a huge part. Were you When you went away to school and did these things, did you have to disconnect from your family? And was there a, a learning experience with that, if that was the case? Yeah, definitely. Family's a big deal. Back to what, as I stated earlier, my mother 
had a stroke at the age of 24 with, she just got divorced with four kids. And anybody who knows anything about strokes, seconds counts, minutes counts, hours counts. Well, in South Carolina, she went to the emergency room and she got sent home saying, hey, it's just a seizure, come back during the free clinic days. So the question has to be, did she get sent home because she was a poor black female or did she just get sent home? And we can talk a little bit more about that after the break. Well, thank you so much for setting us up with that. Uh, we've been speaking, we are speaking today with Reverend Odell Cleveland. This is AARP Without Limits. We'll be right back. And we are back. This is AARP Without Limits. Folks, just a reminder, we always love to hear from you. If you have a question, if you have a comment, if you have a recommendation for a future topic or a guest, please send us an email, AARP Without Limits at aarp.org. We've been speaking today with community leader Reverend Odell Cleveland right before the break. Uh, Reverend, we were talking um, about uh, family and you, know, you going off to school and, and you uh, um, um, being uh, immersed in, in, in making certain observations about the world around you. Want to continue, continue that thought? Yeah, definitely. And again, like I stated earlier, that my mother had a stroke and she went to the emergency room and they sent her home. Well, she stayed home for two days and my grandmother had a doctor who came over and diagnosed her and sent her back. And he had to argue with the physician there to allow them to admit my mother. So she went in the hospital for about four months, almost died. And that helped shape my life because the people who helped weren't all black, weren't all white. And then I started realizing that people are just people. And that's the big deal. So if anyone has dealt with a loved one who it wasn't anyone's fault that she experienced a stroke. However, I do believe that she was treated differently. So either you carry that hate around with you or you just try to help other people. And that's what I decided to do. Just try to help other people deal with it. So that's why I'm so into this thing about helping elderly, helping others, helping the least of these because it makes a difference because, you know, it's hard to hate up close. Hmm. Very powerful. You know, your perspective there is, is a very wide perspective. Um, and it takes me to the next question I have, you know, you're, you're known for working with both Republicans and Democrats to help address critical issues in your community. Um, you've even gone so far as to endorsing candidates on the other side of the political aisle from you. Uh, you co-hosted a TV program uh, with former Congressman, um, Mark Walker, the program is called Swing State. You co-host a, po a podcast on important current events now called The Common Ground Show. How important to you um, has this bipartisan approach uh, been? Yeah, well, because being a lifelong Democrat and not trying to get into politics, I was told some things about the other side that wasn't true. So what I try to do is compete now. I want us to compete as political competitors not political enemies, because at the end of the day, we're all Americans and we need to talk to each other to get things done. And that's why I had to go down that route, because in playing sports and winning championships, I didn't always like everybody who was on our team, didn't always like the coach. However, I respected them and I know if we could work together and everybody played their part. We won championships and it was something about a poor black boy from the dirt roads of South Carolina and public housing who loved the idea of winning 
And I saw winning as an opportunity for me to get a college education and better my life and possibly the lives of my children and my grandchildren. So that's why I just feel that it's about the people, not the party. Well, that's 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 so important to hear, especially this day and age where we have where things are so ugly with the political divisions. And you, you know, um, sir, when when I you know watch your podcast or, or clips of you on on video with you know with with um, former Congressman Mark Walker, it's genuine. You know, you you got you know you're able to interact, and you know you kind of don't know what you you know. It seems like you you you. Um, are um, like you've known them forever or, you know, and, um, you know, you're able to put aside um, um, certain things that a lot of people can't and, and are able to focus on the issues and have a, a grown-up conversation that uh, is, is, is productive. Um, one issue I know that's really important to you has been caregiving and, and long before AARP nationally recognized you as a local hero on care, caregiving. You and your church was a resource to the community on caregiving. Uh, leading to the creation of a, of a group called Caregiver Connect. Please tell us about why this resonates with you. You, I know you, you mentioned your mother. Uh, did that uh-huh. have something to do with it? Were there other other aspects of caregiving that, that made this strong for you? Yeah, definitely, because we were trying to take care of my mother at home initially, and we were driving, I was driving every other weekend from Greensboro, North Carolina, to Charleston, South Carolina, and just trying to navigate the whole path of caring for a loved one. And it's the adult siblings trying to care for a mother and back and forth. So in my head, I started saying, this is hard. This is hard for me. This is hard for my sister. This is hard for my brother. So if it's hard for me and I know and I have resources, how hard is it for other people? So I start opening up, talking to other people, finding out that everybody have experienced caregiving or know someone who has, and this is a major issue. So that led to writing the book that led to starting the nonprofit Caregiving Connect because everybody, you know, not everybody, the majority of us are going through something and that's where we find common ground. And as we've said on this show here before, you've got people who, you know, are caregiving for somebody, they have caregiving for somebody or they're going to, and it's literally every hand needs, goes up in the room because yes. we're all going to find ourselves in that position. And Caregiving Connect has such a great reputation um, out there in the triad um, in helping to connect people. And again, it's one of these things, uh, regardless of background or affiliation of, of any sort, um, uh, folks are dealing with. Um, it's, it's an election year, uh, as we know, Reverend. Um, you have public, in the past, you publicly come out and endorsed candidates before, but you know, as you know, ARP doesn't do that, so we're gonna, we'll skip that part. But really interested in, in hearing from you, what are the issues that are most central uh, to the folks in your church, to the community, to you as, as a, an older adult living there in, in the Greensboro area? You know, two things. Let me first start with this one. As someone with an ailing mother, I often wonder how I'll feel when my time as a caregiver ends. Will I feel relieved when it's over? And will I feel guilty for feeling relieved? That's a big issue in the community because a lot of people are caring for people and it ends up either they die or they pass on, whatever you want to say it. And are you guilty. Do you feel guilty or relieved? And when you feel guilty for feeling relieved, so the whole psychological aspects come into place. The second issue we're dealing with now is senior housing. You know, the federal statute defines senior housing as 
that intended and or designed for residents 55 and older. So we're working on a lot of things that way from the church's perspective, because a lot of times, Michael, the faith community are land rich, but don't know how to utilize that in partnership with other entities that can deal with housing, senior housing, all those type of things. So that's what we're focusing on now, trying to make a difference outside the four walls of the churches, because everybody could preach a good sermon, but let me see you live it. Let me see you mm. go out in the community and help some people. Let's see you help people with housing and stuff that they need, because those are the people who've been given to the church forever and ever and ever. But now who's looking out for them? Now I'm getting on my soapbox, so I'm going to be quiet because I get passionate about this. Preach, Reverend, preach. <laughs> and this is exactly, Jason, this is exactly why, what I mentioned when I was uh, doing the introduction. Uh, it's about it's about impact, you know, and as you, you know, celebrating a birthday this weekend and thinking about, you know, having an impact and the, where the rubber hits the road in the community, in the ground level, where there are real people, where relationships matter. Um, and where you have to have practical solutions across across the board. I, I really appreciate everything you just said there, Reverend. Um, last question here. You co-host a podcast called The Common Ground Show, which has got well over 100 episodes now, and you're covering a wide range of topics. Uh, tell us a bit about that. What are some upcoming topics that you've got uh, coming up that you want the audience to know about? You know, one of them is the Palestinian perspective. We all are very much aware of the Israeli-Hamas war. But we brought a young lady on, and she's a city council, Mary Kay Abuzue, city council member in Greensboro, and she's a Palestinian. So she was able to talk about how did this wars affecting innocent Palestinians? Because again, we all looking for the truth. We all agree, most of us agree that what Hamas did was wrong. You know, we know that they took the hostages, returned the hostages. We stand with Israel. All that's fine. However. Let's ask the question, how is the innocent Palestinians being affected by this? So she was able to come on with her own voice and tell her side of the story. She agrees that Hamas is wrong. That, that, that's not the issue. But she also wanted to share with us the other side. And that's one of the better shows because we want to be fair and balanced. We want to be common grounds and we want to respect other people's opinion. We don't always have to agree, but we can agree to disagree but we need to at least hear the other side and how what we're doing is affecting someone else. It's it's all about having a good, a real discussion and, and hearing all perspectives. I hear you there. Um, how can folks uh, hear your show, Reverend? Uh, they could just go on and look at commonground.com or Google Odell Cleveland, and we just kind of go from there. But listen, AARP has been just a blessing for this community. You know, we've partnered with you all and for a large African-American church to partner with AARP. It was a big deal and you all's willingness to partner with us. So we love it. We love it. And it's been beneficial to our 8,000 uh, church members because it affects everyone. The adult community affects every family. And to your point, you know, who's going to take care of mama? Who's going to take care of dad? So I just want to say to you, thank you for what you all do to help us do what we do. Well, what a great note to end on. And, and it's uh, it's been a pleasure for our organization to, to work with you and yours, uh, Reverend. Thank you so much uh, for being with us. We really appreciate your time and your perspective with us today. Uh, that is a wrap, folks. Uh, I want to thank you again to Reverend Odell Cleveland for being our guest. Thank you to Jason Kong for production. Thank you for listening. 
This has been AARP Without Limits. I'm Mike Olander with AARP North Carolina. We'll see you next time.